in school, and I realized that's way back in the dark ages. If you misbehaved, uh, there were different punishments that they gave. Sometimes, Jacob, could you switch the... Uh, there were some punishments that were given. Sometimes they gave spankings back in the dark ages when we were in school. But other times, maybe if your offense wasn't quite so severe, they gave a, a frequent punishment was that you had to write out things like 500 times. I will do my homework on time. You have to write that out 500 times, on uh, line after line. Or, I will not chew gum in class. You had to write that out. And often, the teacher would make you stay in during recess time. When you could be out playing, they made you stay in and write out. I will not chew gum in class. I will not chew gum in class. The idea of that was, I will, I will not. The idea of that was that they wanted you to make a commitment that you wouldn't do that anymore. Uh, and the commitment was based upon the fact, I don't want to have to sit in during recess and write these lines, line after line after line again. And so they were trying to instill into you, I will make a commitment, make a promise, follow through. We still use that kind of terminology, don't we? I will diet this week. I will get exercise this week. Uh, I will not be late to work tomorrow morning. Uh, I will. It's, it suggests the idea of making a commitment and a determination and a promise of what's going to follow. Today we want to look at how Jesus used that kind of concept about his will. I will do this or I will that. Jesus often used those sort of statements. And in the reading that Travis read for us just a few moments ago, we see one example of that. In Mark chapter 1, verse 40, beginning, there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou can make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him, and said, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. And so, notice here that Jesus made a commitment. He was moved with compassion for this man who was suffering this horrible disease of leprosy. We've talked before about how just horrible leprosy was and is in, in the world today. A terrible disease that, that left people horribly disfigured, outcast from society. It was just a terrible thing to be a leper. This man was suffering with leprosy. And Jesus had compassion on him. And so Jesus said, I will, I'll be clean. And so Jesus made a commitment to him that he would help him in that matter. In this instance, notice that the reaction was immediately, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. I want to tell you something about the promises of Jesus, the commitment of Jesus. When Jesus says that he will do something, he will do it. It's a promise that will be kept. Now, in this instance, the promise was kept immediately. Not all of the promises that Jesus makes will be kept immediately, but we guarantee that the promises of Jesus will be kept. And so this morning, for just a few moments in our lesson, we want to look at some of the I wills of Jesus. And when we talk about that, we're going to be talking about the things that he has committed to do. He will do these things. He has promised, he's determined that these things will happen. And we're really blessed by the I wills of Jesus. We'll talk about those uh, in just a moment. We stop here this morning to thank you all for being out on this beautiful Lord's Day in Middle Tennessee. What a blessing to be able to come together to worship God, to study from His Word.
to offer praise and honor and glory to our Creator. We're glad that you're here to be a part of that. We have a number of visitors with us today, and we're glad you've come our way. We hope you'll come back every time you have a chance. If we can be of special help to you, let us know how. If you have any questions, if you need maybe especially assistance with Bible study, we can provide Bible study materials. We can arrange easily arrange a one-on-one discussion of Bible things with you if that's what you need. You just let us know how we can help, and we'll, we'll do our very best to fulfill those needs. But thanks to everyone for being here this morning. So talk with me about the I wills of Jesus. And again, I want to stress that the idea is that when Jesus says I will, he's making a commitment or a promise to follow through. In the case of the leper, it was instantaneous. I will thou be clean. And he was immediately. But Jesus used that kind of terminology pretty frequently. For instance, Jesus said that he will accept you if you come to him. We'll look at a verse that shows that in just a minute. But think about the idea of a, an open invitation, uncon, unconditional. You can come. You just Whoever you are, whatever your status is, you can come, Jesus said. I think a lot of times we are impressed when we read about some of the charitable hospitals that are located around the country. One of the best known ones in the whole country and not too far from us here in Memphis, Tennessee, is St. Jude's Children's Hospital. And they take children there who have horrible problems, most of them with cancers, although they do treat other kind of situations as well. But you know that St. Jude, you can come to St. Jude and you will be accepted and there's no bill. You don't have to pay for what they do. It's just an open door invitation for those who are desperately ill children with cancer and so forth. We're impressed by that. That's an amazing thing. They've made a commitment to treat children who are in those kinds of horrific conditions and that's a great thing it's a very commendable thing well think about the idea that jesus extends an open door invitation to all of us in regards to the problem of sin in john chapter 6 verse 37 jesus said him that cometh to me notice i will in no wise cast out and so jesus holds this door open for us and it is really an amazing thing because the reality of it is that we are very unworthy of that. We don't deserve that that kind of offer should be extended to us. There's nothing about us that deserves that this gracious offer would be extended in our direction. But it has been made. And Jesus said, I will. I will. You can come to me. You're welcome to come. I, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Do you remember when the Apostle Peter was divinely sent to the house of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Peter, Peter initially resisted the idea that he would go to the house of a Gentile person. But God revealed to him miraculously that he should. Peter was a Jew, and there had always been this distinct alienation between Jew and Gentile. And really all through the Old Testament time, the, the Jews had had a special favored position with God. They were his people. But now that has changed. And God is making known and using Peter as an agent to make it known that now all can come to him. There is no respect of persons. Peter said in Acts 10, verse 34, uh, of a truth I perceive that God is noticed. No, let me go back to that. Well, I don't know if I can get to it. God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. That's a great thing. And especially great for us who are Gentile people 
that this, this offer of salvation has been extended to us. God is no respecter of persons. Paul says that simply in Romans chapter 2, verse 11. There is no respect of persons with God. And so when Jesus makes that promise, you can come to him. He will not turn you away. He will accept you if you come to him. That's really a wonderful thing, and we should be so right. But furthermore, Jesus promises that he will give you rest from the burden of sin. I think that we don't really comprehend the great load of sin that, that we have and the, and the enormous problem and burden of sin that is upon us. This past weekend, the big windstorm that came through our area, Jacob had a big hickory tree in his front yard that got severely damaged and we had to go ahead and cut it down. Uh, and, and when that thing hit the ground, I mean, it hit with a tremendous thud. I, we were trying to guess. My guess is that tree probably had to weigh six or eight tons. It was enormous. Well, there it lay. What are you going to do with it now? Well, you can't move that thing. There's no way to move it. It's a tremendous load. And so we've been working on it ever since, and we're not done yet. Uh, to, to get that, you, talk, you have to move this heavy load. What are you going to do with that? Well, I'll tell you, if you can sort of picture that in the physical sense of a, a massive load that you've got to carry or move, that's just a slight hint at the concept of the burden of our sin. Now, our sins are worse. Uh, it doesn't matter how hard you would work or how long you would work, you could not handle the burden of sin that is in your life. Uh, David said in the Psalms, Psalm 38, beginning verse 4, Mine iniquities are gone over my head as a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day. I am feeble and sore broken. I have roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. My heart panteth. My strength faileth me. As for the light of mine eyes, it is also gone from me. You get the idea there that David had a real sense of this, the problem of sin that he had in his life. David was not alone in that. We are all in that same exact circumstance. The load of our sin is that great. Ezra, in chapter 9, verse 6, spoke of the burden of sin that the whole nation of Israel felt. Oh, my God, he said, I'm ashamed and blushed to lift up my face to thee, oh, my God, for our iniquities are increased over our head, our trespasses grown up unto the heavens. Now, how often do you think about your sinful situation in those terms? that this burden of sin is that great, that impossible for us to personally manage. We need to think of it that way and then rejoice in the promise of Jesus because he said in Matthew 11, verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavenly laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Notice, we were those who labor and are heavy laden. That's us under that burden of sin that we couldn't carry. But Jesus said, I will. I will give you rest. And that's an incredible thing. He will lift us from the immovable load of sin or lift that from us. Uh, I really think that we have allowed ourselves to be deceived into the notion that, I'm, you know, I'm not really so bad. Now, there's some, I'm going to tell you, there's some really bad people out there but I'm, I'm not so bad. I'm a, I'm a pretty decent person, really. 
especially in comparison to the to some of the really horrible wicked people of the world i'm not such a bad guy that is deception we are all wretched sinners and what we deserve is to be punished eternally for our sins but jesus said you can come to me and i will give you rest uh, from the the load of sin the burden of sin those are amazing promises of jesus and we should really rejoice Jesus said that you can have his abiding love if you are obedient. This thing that Jesus promises to do for us is not just a one-time act. He, he said, you can come to me. I will give you rest from the burden of sin. But then he promises that there will be an ongoing loving relationship between us and him if we continue to serve faithfully. Uh, we didn't deserve... We didn't deserve this or this, and we certainly don't deserve this either. We don't deserve that Jesus would continue to share his love with us. I don't know about you, but I am always sort of overwhelmed with respect for adoptive parents. You know, uh, we love our children. Our natural-born children are so special to us. Okay, I, ju I just think there's something extra special about a person who would choose to adopt a child, uh, a child who didn't have a home, didn't have parents to care for him or her, and these adoptive parents took such a child in and loved him and, and really devoted their lives uh, to that adopted child. That's an amazing thing, and we're, we're really overwhelmed with appreciation for people who do that sort of thing. Well, in that same sense, think about Jesus. He said, I, I won't cast you out. You can come to me. I'll lift the burden of sin. And I will continue to share with you a loving relationship in an ongoing way. Notice what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself unto him. Jesus said, I will love him. In that same passage, in verse 15, he said, If you love me, keep my commandments. So, so here's the condition of this. If you will continue to be obedient and follow the commands of the Master, then he said, I will love you and I will manifest myself to you. So as long as we obediently serve, the promises of an abiding relationship with, with the Lord Jesus are there. Well, somebody says, okay, well, that's fine. But I'm going to tell you, that commandment keeping that you're talking about there, that's like a ball and chain. That's just, that's something just terrible. That's such a, a, a horrible, oppressive thing to have to live in compliance with the commands of Jesus. If you want His love, then you've got to carry this ball and chain around. You've got to, your life has got to be miserable from now on if you want to stay in the love of Jesus. Well, we know that that's not true, don't we? In 1 John chapter 5, verse John says, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. The commandments of God are not like some horrible, terrible regimen that we have to keep. You can, you can, have, you can have the love of God, but boy, it's going to be a tough thing and you're not going to enjoy one minute of it. It's going to be misery from sunup to sundown. You're just going to, be, you're going to have a horrible life if you want to stay in the love of God and Jesus. That's not true, is it? John says the commandments of God are not grievous. He hasn't asked us to do impossible things. He's asked, actually asked us to do things that are in our own best interest. We so often reference Deuteronomy 6, 24, 
where Moses said to the children of Israel, God commanded us to do these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. God's commands are for our good. Our own personal experience, our own lives, and what we've witnessed in the lives of other people ought to bear out that when we live the way God wants us to live, it's for our good. Our lives are enriched by living by the commandments of the Lord. And, and when we continue in those commandments, then we have this promise that we have his abiding love. It is in the very nature of God to instruct us to do the things that are in our best interest. Uh, and when we do that, Jesus promises that we can have his abiding love. Jesus promises that he can change the priorities of your life. He can change things for you. He can make it totally different. A lot of us who are older have had the experience of messing with computers and really struggling to figure out how they work and how, how they're supposed to work. Um, and then some kid will jump in front of us and get a hold of the keyboard or the mouse pad and with a couple of keystrokes they can do so simply what we've been struggling to do with such difficulty. They show, a, they show us a better way. You know, so we're going through this very involved process and, and you get, boy, you can mess up and, you know, I think all of us who are older are afraid if I push the wrong button, this whole computer will just melt right here in front of me and, and all of this work will be lost. And then a kid comes in, boom, and it's done. Just a couple of keystrokes and they've accomplished what we were struggling to get done. They show us a better way. Well, Jesus has said that he will change the priorities of your life and that he will show you a better way of doing things. We've been pursuing a course of destruction, both physical and spiritual destruction. And Jesus said, I can show you a better way. I can show you a way that will be better for your life. Just as an example, look what Jesus did when he called uh, Peter and Andrew. In Matthew chapter 4, 18, Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now notice, this was their, this was their occupation. They, they were fishermen. But Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. I'm going to change your priorities. I'm going to change what's important in your life. I'm going to change the way you do things. You've been laboring for fish in this boat, physical fish, but I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to change your priorities. I'm going to make you look at things a totally different way. And to their credit, Peter and Andrew followed him. They straightway left their nets and followed him. And that's to their credit. They could see the advantage of changing their whole perspective on life. They've been working for the physical things. Jesus, I'm going to make you, I'm going to make you see the importance of pursuing a spiritual priority in your life. Uh, that's what we need to do, you know. Because without the Lord and without His perspective on life, we're just, we're just struggling along uh, with our priorities aimed at things that are temporal, uh, things that won't bring lasting satisfaction or benefit. Jesus, I can change that about you. I can change, I can, I can change the way you look at things. I can make you fishers of men, he said to Peter and Andrew. He can change our perspectives on things and get us seeing things the way they ought to be. In the book of Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul talked about how his perspectives and priorities were changed. 
in Philippians 3, verse 5, beginning, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, an Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Okay. Stop right there. Paul, what are your priorities been? My priorities have all been about this Jewish religion. And, 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 and I was getting, I was getting it. I was getting ahead. I was famous. I was prosperous. I was powerful. But he says, what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless I things, but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. In the case of Paul, what happened? His perspectives and his priorities were completely changed, right? He didn't regret it. He never regretted that decision that he had made. And we won't regret that either. Jesus said, I can make it so that you see things in a totally different light and that the priorities of your life will be changed uh, so that you put the things first that really are most important. And you, you stop prioritizing the things in life that will pass away. We need that. Jesus says he can change the priorities. Let me suggest to you that Jesus promises that he will come again to reward the righteous. In John chapter 14, verse 1, beginning, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whether I go, you know, and the way, you know. Isn't that a, a, a wonderful promise? Uh, the hope that Jesus provides that there is a life beyond the grave, uh, an eternity to look forward to. When you go to the, to the funeral uh, of a person who's not a Christian, do you ever stop and wonder, how do people deal with that? How do people deal with the reality of dying when they really don't have any hope of anything beyond the grave? In, in, in fact, really all they have to look forward to is eternal punishment if they're, if they're perceptive to that at all, but there's certainly no hope. If you're not a Christian, there, there's no hope. How do people deal with death and dying when there is no hope? Jesus has provided us with the hope. He says, I'm coming again. I will come again and receive you unto myself. In my Father's house are many mansions. I will come again. Jesus promises us that, and it is a wonderful thing. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning verse 16, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. These are words of comfort, aren't they? The promise that Jesus is going to come again to reward the righteous. What about you? Uh, in, in regards to the things we've been describing today, it's wonderful that the promises have been made. But the fulfillment of the promises is contingent upon our response to the things that Jesus has promised. He says, you can come to me. I'm going to relieve the burden of sin. I will continue in a loving, abiding relationship with you. You'll be able to see things in life according to the true priorities and perspectives that ought to be pursued. And then I'm going to come again and receive you into myself. I'll come again to reward the righteous in heaven. 
All of that, wonderful promises, but we've got to react to those promises. We have to take action uh, in order to receive the promises that Jesus has made. What about you this morning? Have, have you done the things necessary in your life to be the recipient of the fulfilled promises that Jesus has and will make? If you're not yet a Christian, you need to make the decision to obey the gospel without delay. The simple plan is here. Believe, repent, confess, be baptized for the remission of sins. If you've not done that, we hope you'll make that decision without delay. If you need more instruction, you need help, make sure you understand what's required. Just say a word, we'll study with you. But you need to do that. If you, want, if you can understand and you're ready, we're ready to assist you. If you're a Christian already, remember some of the things we talked about this morning suggested that there's an ongoing responsibility to stay uh, within the love of, of the Lord. And if you've let yourself slip out of a right relationship with God, you're a Christian, but you haven't been living faithfully, we urge you to come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song. Oh.